Welcome back to Gender Power Justice. This is lecture 12, our last lecture on Audre Lorde's short essay, The Erratic as Power. Now, I thought that this essay followed nicely from some of the discussion we've been having in the past three weeks. So to review a little bit, three weeks ago, we talked about Foucault's analysis of power and knowledge and how this generates discourses surrounding sex and sexuality. Then we read Linda Alcoff's uh, appropriation of Foucault, in which she discusses some of his shortcomings, in particular his lack or his antipathy towards normative analysis of any kind. And this is a reason why feminists have basically been quite um, trepidatious or hesitant to use Foucault, despite, you know, this might seem odd because he's actually quite um, pervasive and influential in feminist philosophy, there is historically some um, hesitancy about using Foucault because of this lack of norms. And obviously, um, feminists are interested in injustice. They're interested in harm, and they're interested in what to do about injustice and harm. So Foucault is not He's an, he's an interesting philosopher for understanding a kind of um, genealogical history or analysis of gender and sexuality, but it has always had a troubled relationship with that feminist project, and feminists have tried to ameliorate those worries in different ways. Linda Alcoff's way of doing that was to talk about um, sexual violation. She talked about a concept that enables her to think about the harm done in what we usually call sexual violence, sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, rape, in all of these different configurations. She wants to find the kind of the root of the, the nature of the harm, and she thinks it's this undermining or revoking of agency, will, um, capacity to determine one's own sexual being and one's own um, sexual life, and she thinks that this is a very um, this that this is the root of of the problem. And of course, experiences vary quite widely, but this is the root of it. And we discussed in our last class about why she thinks just violating consent doesn't quite get at the root of the problem, although she's not rejecting the idea of consent as a norm. It's just not highlighting the thing that she thinks she needs to have a more capacious understanding of even perhaps what consent would re really require, right? How we would need to understand consent in order to have not just adequate sexual experiences in which basically women can be satisfied that they, at least they weren't raped, but, but to actually talk about um, sexual experiences in which there is um, mutuality, recognition, and so on. So this is where I think Audre Lorde comes in. Audre Lorde um, discusses the difference in the first place between male models of power and alternatives. So what you don't get from Foucault and what Lorde brings into this picture, I think, is the positive side to the story. Foucault gives you a model of how power is exercised. That's what he's interested in. 
And he tells us that this is something that emerges. It hasn't always been this way. And he suggests, of course, that that means that we can change it. But he doesn't tell us what's wrong with it and what we, what we should change it into. And I think the project that Alkoff starts developing is something like a transition, um, inter- transitional intervention into our discourse about sex sexuality because she inserts the normative dimension and she starts to ask us what it would take to change our relationships with one another such that we can actually exercise sexual agency capacities and in some way be able to flourish as she says I would like to have been asked I would also like to be able to ask and either not being asked or being unable to ask these are both problems Lord's intervention is interesting because she argues that this this fear this being unable to ask part is is really a big part of the the picture of how we want to understand what would both the nature of the problem with our current sexual reality and and what would be better and she has this interesting line where she says that we're afraid of our own yes we're afraid of our own sexual power. And she says that it's not just an individual problem. It's a collective problem. That the model of power that we're actually working with, it's not neutral. It's not objective in an analytical sense. It's actually a male model of power. And a male model of power is particularly one in which what we mean by consent, as Alkoff also notes, is often that Men seem to do the asking or the requesting of sex and women, and this is in the kind of traditional heterosexual binary story, but just follow me here as the kind of archetypal model that we're talking about. Um, What is normally the case is one thinks about sexual power is men ask and women give consent. They say, oh, all right, or yes, or no. And this is a, a way of kind of thinking that one party is always going to be doing the giving. So if you recall Kate Mann's analysis that part of what misogyny entails is the expectation that there are gender-coded goods and services that are distinctly feminine, that women are expected to give, and that men feel entitled to receive. And so Lord says something similar in this essay where um, this is the, the dominant model, and she says that Basically, what women do is provide a life-giving substance substance to their master. They're providing a certain kind of good. Um, and that this is a really impoverished way of thinking about power. It's a gendered way of thinking about power, but also for everyone involved, this is a form of power that is a basically a kind of psychic milking where men kind of go to the trough and then somebody else allows them to feel sensations. And of course, there can be love and intimacy in this situation, but she argues that this isn't something we should be satisfied with, that we're focused on a kind of relationship in which there's lack of depth. And one thing that I was really interested in while reading this essay is that I think she answers, comes to answer a question that um, Catherine McKinnon raised and other feminists have often asked, which is, why is it that we 
feel our, our fantasies and our desires feel like this way of orchestrating and having sexual relationships is adequate like what makes us think that this is satisfying and for, on the one hand of course it's this what she calls the psychic milking again but the more profound point is that it encourages us to confuse the distinction between the pornographic and the erotic so lord thinks that there's a problem with the way that we often debate about sex because we see that there's a kind of sex and a kind of sexuality that can be very harmful it can be abusive not always and everywhere i think it's important to add but it there we're in a context here where we're talking about the tendency of this form of sexual um relating to one another in which there is a tendency to think of other people as objects to feel entitled to their to, uh, for access to them emotionally and physically and she argues that this is actually not the essence of what she calls the erotic this is the pornographic where we've actually what we've done is we've cheapened eroticism in the sense that we've reduced the erotic to the act of sex itself and in doing so we've actually separated sex from the erotic so by not bringing you know being interested in bringing our full selves into our sexual lives it becomes possible to both narrow the erotic to sex and to think of sex as not really this um, robust intricate and you know, intimate thing that happens among full people. It becomes a special domain in our lives, you know, sequestered in the bedroom. Um, And she says, well, the problem with this is that the erotic is, first of all, not reducible to sex. That's not true. There are many erotic experiences that don't take place in sexual acts. And then it's also the case that sex happens in more ways than we imagine, and that sex can be more fulfilling than we imagine. So it's kind of like we've narrowed it down and we've actually cheapened it at the same time. And this creates a kind of disaffected way of having sex. Um, And of course, this fits into other structural problems like actually, which, you know, she's talking about pornographic sex, like an imagery as... Um, you know, colloquially is kind of a general term for the kind of sex that we have. But she's also talking about actual pornography. So in a society that um, values profit over human needs, there are incentives to perpetuate the idea that pornography is sex. That's, that, that's what we, it's what we know and that's what we can expect. And that is what should fulfill our fantasy life. And it's very common, for instance, that young men will be socialized to um, watch lots of pornography that is very heteronormative, very focused on male pleasure. And then it's almost a joke at this point that when they have for their first sexual relationships or they get involved with real partners, they think they realize, wait, sex isn't like that. You know, a lot of people have this experience and have to find out that other people have agency and to adjust their desires accordingly. So what Lord notices is that this 
male, um, this male model of power in conflating the pornographic with the erotic, it seems to rob sex of its spiritual and political value. So at the same time that, as Foucault notes, we, we, we obsess about sex, we categorize sex, we um, think about it very analytically, we're very self-conscious of it, very reflexive, we seem to also be cheapening it of its value. And Lord says there has to be something else going on here. It's not just this neutral idea of power that is it reproducing itself it's a particular kind of power and it is i guess a sexist kind of power and importantly this isn't good for anybody in her opinion this isn't fulfilling anybody's human needs because what we need is not um, the pornographic what we need as people is the erotic the, we need to feel like we are revealing ourselves to ourselves and to others. We need to feel fulfilled. We need to have um, honor, self-respect. We need to feel like the work we're doing, whether it's actual sex work or different kinds of intimate work, emotional labor, that these are conscious decisions, that we're not being psychically milked. Um, and that we have a life force. So she has a kind of romantic way of talking about the erotic, but keep in mind that she's a poet, and the basic point is that she thinks that there is so much more that we can know about ourselves and others, and that the erotic in the broad sense of the term, not just in the sense of sexual acts, but just intimacy of all kinds, um, can help us be able to share joy, emotional joy, psychic joy, intellectual, and physical joy. And the reason she's optimistic about this is that she thinks if you are able to try to share to share joy with others, then what gets created is a bridge between the people who are sharing. And this is a basis for understanding what is not shared. So when people come together, whether it's different genders or different sexes, um, people have differences that are biological, that they are social, they are cultural. And what one does when one increases one's capacity for feeling with others, this actually reduces the threat of those differences and allows you to create a bridge between them. So her way of thinking about the erotic is kind of a form of communication that aims at recognition. And if you take a look at the lecture notes, I put in parentheses to recall Simone de Beauvoir from the very beginning when she sets up the opposition between um, the master and the slave, that there's always a struggle in human consciousness for recognition between those who are subordinated and those who are not, um, both metaphorically in the sense of just from individual to individual, but also sociologically among groups. And she thinks that um, there is always in history a struggle for mutual recognition that is going to overcome subordination. And I think Lord suggests, she used the word recognition several times, that um, the erotic is a way of thinking about the kind of communication that would allow you to do that. So I think you have to use your imagination in this sense. She is trying to posit an empowering vision of how it is that, that power can be cultivated in a way that allows us to feel like we actually have the agency, the capacity to ask, the capacity to say yes. But also importantly, 
the capacity to say no, to be responsible for oneself, to not feel like one is subject to the arbitrary power of other people, even in the most intimate settings. And she thinks that sharing the power of one's feelings with another person allows us to turn toward and not away from experiences, um, erotic or otherwise. It's a kind of self-awakening. And for her, this is the opposite of abuse. And I think that after reading Foucault and after reading Alcoff and you read Audre Lorde, there's something, again, very romantic about this, very optimistic, but she's responding to debates among feminists about these very topics, about pornography, about abuse, about violence. And she's trying, the, the context of this essay is literally her trying to intervene by saying, the problem is, is if we are always only reactive, we're identifying harm, and we never develop a perspective on the erotic that allows us to cultivate the kind of agency and communication with others and mutual respect that would allow us to identify harms and to prevent them, then we're never going to get anywhere. And she argues that if, if we have a punishing attitude all of the time, then we're not going to open up to each other. And that's ultimately what has to happen. And then what we would instead do if we don't open up to each other is accept our own powerlessness in a kind of defensive attitude. So I think the questions that I'm left with here are, of course, um, about the kind of more broader, the broad social and political conditions of this kind of activity. Um, There's a lot of things that we've discussed in this course But one of the things that we did not discuss are, of course, the causal arguments for why women are oppressed, what kinds of social structures cause oppression, and what would have to be changed in the structure and the systems that we live in to eliminate incentives for the kind of communication, respect, and recognition that Lord is interested in here. I think that, of course, she suggests that there is a structure in which that cares about profits over people. Um, Relevant information is that Audre Lorde is in a a network of many different socialist and anti-colonial feminist um, theorists and activists during the time in which she was alive, um, both in the U.S. and, I think, in Berlin, And I think that what doesn't come out in this essay, but I just want to mention, is that a very robust worldview where she sees a society that increases the likelihood that we will be abusive to one another and seems to cut against or undermine our efforts to have better relationships, whether intimate or otherwise. And this essay is a subset of that broader vision. So this is maybe where I close and I say that I spend a lot of time thinking about gender and power and justice. And I think it's worth exploring these debates about sexual violation. I think it's worth 
exploring the social construction of gender and doing gender theory and indeed to talk about what we mean when we talk about human rights and sexual difference in many of the popular slogans of our time. I also think it's just one part of a whole. I think that feminist philosophy um, is also a form of political philosophy and it requires a deeper social theory than a lot of what the authors that we've read in this class um, have offered, at least in the readings in which we have read them. So I'll end by saying that if you're interested in pursuing the structural analyses that would ask questions about causes, about structures, about the relationship between different social systems, where you would go to start with that is maybe with Katherine McKinnon. She wrote a book um, called Toward a Feminist Theory of the State, which was influential um, during her time. You might read other Audre Lorde essays, like um, the compilation Sister Outsider, in which she has many um, essays about the relationship between patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy. You might be interested in the debates between liberal feminists and socialist feminists and everywhere in between about whether or not capitalism is good for women, whether or not Audre Lorde's claim that a system that values profit over people is part of the fundamental problem in how power is configured in a gendered way. So there are lots of interesting things to explore, and I'll just suggest that this is in some ways the starting point or the tip of the iceberg for getting into that kind of social theory. I hope you enjoyed the lectures. I'm looking forward to our final discussions and um, that's all for now. Bye everyone.